We are going to jump right in. We have got a lot of ground to cover. Revelation chapter 12. We are continuing right on through in our study of Revelation. We have officially made it past the halfway point. When we start chapter 12 today, we are going to attempt, Lord willing, to read the whole chapter. Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 through 17. Some of you may notice that uh, your Revelation chapter 12, depending on your translation, ends with verse 17. Some of you, your translation ends with verse 18. Uh, don't worry, it's not that one translation is wrong, but different translators, one, some say that uh, the end of verse 17 goes there, the others make a verse 18, and some add it to the beginning of chapter 13. So we're just going to go to 17, and we'll, if you have an 18, have no fear, we'll cover that at the beginning of 13 next week. So we're going to read uh, Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 through 17, and we will dig right in. <clears throat> A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in labor and agony as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven. There was a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. His tail swept away a third of the stars in heaven and hurled them to the earth. And the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that when she did give birth, he might devour her child. But she gave birth to a son, a male who was going to shepherd all nations with an iron scepter. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God to be fed there for 1260 days. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon and his angels also fought, but he could not prevail, and there was no place for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was thrown out. The ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the one who deceives the world, he was thrown to earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, The salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah have now come. Because the accuser of our brothers has been thrown out, the one who accuses them before God day and night. They conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they did not love their lives in the face of death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them, woe to the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you with great fury, because he knows he has a short time. When the dragon saw that he had been thrown to earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the child. The woman was given two wings of a great eagle so that she could fly from the serpent's presence to her place in the wilderness where she was fed for a time, times, and a half a time. From, this, from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river flowing after the woman to keep her away, to sweep her away in a torrent. But the earth helped the woman. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the river that the dragon had spewed from his mouth. So the dragon was furious with the woman and left to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and have the testimony 
about Jesus. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would just bless the reading of your word this morning. I pray that you would uh, pour your Holy Spirit out among us, dear Lord. We have got a lot of stuff. This is a, a heavy chapter. So I pray, God, that you would help me to, to preach what you want me to preach today, God, to get the points across that, that your people need to hear. Dear Lord, I pray that I wouldn't make your word boring today because it's not. I pray that you would empower me, dear Lord, to, uh, to speak what you want your people to hear. God, for your glory, not for my glory, not for anything else, dear Lord, we come here today so that you can be lifted up. So I pray that you would hide me behind the cross, dear Lord. I pray that we would recognize in this text today that we have victory in Jesus. Dear Lord, that we would be able to learn the tactics of our enemy and know that he is a, a mighty uh, enemy to us, but that he is not victorious. That while as mighty he may be, Jesus Christ is victorious and more mighty. And so we thank you for that, God, and I pray that you would just speak to us today. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. Now this is some heavy stuff, right? We've covered some heavy stuff in the book of Revelation up to this point, and we continue to cover some heavy stuff now. Now we've talked about lots of different views of the book of Revelation, and some people hold a very literal view of the book of Revelation, but we've talked in some detail, I won't go over it, about... Uh, uh, how symbolic the book of Revelation is that many of the things in the book of Revelation uh, some are literal but I believe that many are symbolic if you hold a literal view of the chronological order that everything in each chapter is laid out in the order it has and that it literally happens that way when you get to chapter 12 for sure you kind of run into some problems because it doesn't really seem to uh, fit with what we've looked at in the rest of the book if you were to take it literal and in chronological order, it would appear that there's going to be some woman who's going to have uh, some, some son, and there's going to be this big fiery red dragon. But we have to not forget that the book of Revelation is heavily symbolic. Now, when you read the text, that is God's word, there are some texts that you can uh, read along by themselves, and you get it. You understand it. You don't need any explanation. It's pretty understandable where the Bible says love your neighbor. We can read that text and we pretty much got that. We don't, it, we don't even have to know what comes before it or after it to understand what that means. Some verses in the Bible, we read the text and we don't understand, so we have to read the context. We can read the whole chapter, for instance, or maybe a chapter to two before. And when we understand the context of the story that's being said, we can understand the verse that we may have trouble with. There are some verses that you read the text you don't get, you read the context you don't get, so you have to look at the whole text. That is, you have to look at the whole Bible, not just a few chapters before and after, but the whole thing from Genesis to Revelation, and it, you begin to see things line up. You begin to see things that are understandable. And if you see something in one spot of the Bible, and you don't see it in any other spot of the Bible, you have to look at what most of the text says. And when you begin to see the text as a whole, you can kind of begin to see what God wants us to get from that. Now, we are a privileged church because uh, we have all of the Old Testament. We have all these things that have happened throughout the years that we've seen in our lifetime and throughout history. And we also, in the book of Revelation, have how things are going to play out at the end of time. And so the text we read today, we want to try to understand where this stuff take place, uh, who these texts talk about, and what they are symbolic of, and why as a church, as Christians, as those who are in Jesus, we can rejoice. And why for those who may be in this room who are not in Christ Jesus, have reason to fear. 
And you better listen up. You better wise up. You better heed what God's Word says. So I believe what this text in Revelation chapter 12 is talking about past events for the most part. Now I've kind of struggled with this for a few months trying to figure out where this all falls into place in the story of Revelation. But it seems apparent by the things that are talked about here that this is John recalling things of the past for the most part and also pointing to some things in the future. Revelation chapter 12 verse 1 says a great sign appeared in heaven a woman clothed with the sun with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. Now either there's going to be a literal woman who is going to come sometime toward the end times or this is symbolic of something that's already happened. It seems pretty clear in reading these verses that this woman is symbolic of the nation of Israel. She has a crown upon her, on her head, and there are 12 stars in the crown. Now, we see the nation of Israel is represented of 12 tribes. We see that all throughout the Old Testament. Maybe you're not familiar with it, but you can go back in the book of Genesis and in the Old Testament, and you can see that played out. You can see even that reference to the 12 stars in the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. And so this is uh, clearly uh, the nation of Israel that is being talked about here. Israel is God's chosen people. And so we see a woman who is representative of Israel with the crown and the 12 stars. And it goes on to say, She was pregnant and cried out in labor and agony as she was about to give birth. And so we see this woman, this nation of Israel, who is about to give birth. She is in agony. Uh, a, a woman who is in labor pains, they begin to increase and they get more difficult as the pregnancy becomes clear. And so we see that the nation of Israel here appears to be in agony. We'll read a little further and understand that a little better. So we see the woman and then another sign appeared in heaven. There was a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. He swept, excuse me, his tail swept away a third of the stars in heaven and hurled them to earth. And the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that when she did give birth, he might devour her child. Now, if you read on a little further, we clearly know in the text, sometimes the text is symbolic and we don't know what it means, but sometimes the text tells us what the symbol is. In this case, we have a fiery red dragon, and that is symbolic of Satan himself. We see that a few verses down. That Satan himself, the serpent of old, the devil, that is who this verse is talking about. So here we have the woman, the nation of Israel, and we have the devil, the serpent of old, the one who was in the Garden of Eden. Maybe you're familiar with that story. Adam and Eve, God created humanity, and he made Adam and Eve, and this serpent came in. He was, he was slick, and he was deceiving, and he convinced Eve and Adam both to eat of the fruit that God had told them not to eat of. And as a result, there were some consequences for that. The woman would have to face some labor pains. Adam, the man, would have to work in the field. But first and foremost, God punished the serpent. God told the serpent, look, the seed that comes from the woman is going to crush your head. You're going to strike at his heel, but the seed of the woman is going to be the one who's going to crush you. And so we see that very early on in God's Word. So we're covering from beginning to end, Genesis chapter 3, almost at the end of the Bible, and we have to look at the whole picture to understand what's going on. And so here we have this woman who is Israel, who is in agony because she is about to give birth. And enter this dragon, the devil, who wants to kill the one who is going to come. Because let's not forget, God said that it was the seed of the woman 
who would crush Satan. And so we see throughout the years, we see Israel in constant agony. I believe that that is the agony uh, leading up to the birth of Jesus Christ, who was going to be the one who was going to be the Savior of the world. And we see Israel that is constantly being persecuted, that is constantly being in hard times. And a light dawned, ding in my head this week as I was reading. I was thinking, that was the devil the whole time trying to keep God's plan from getting into place. And some of you probably figured that out years ago, but I just kind of got it. Like, we see that from very early on. The devil knew that it would be the seed of the woman who would eventually crush him, and he was trying to stop God's plan from the get-go. That's why after uh, Adam and Eve, I believe, that's why after they got kicked out of the garden, they had Cain and Abel, and the devil got to Cain. He put it in his heart to kill Abel. He was already, I believe, trying to stop the seed of the woman. But God blessed Adam and Eve with Seth, and we see all throughout the Bible that God's chosen people, that the nation of Israel, he always, there's always a few that remain obedient to him. There are always a few that, that trust his commands and follow him that are his chosen people. And there's a lot of punishment for Israel. There's a lot who don't listen to him. There's a lot who face consequences. But God is always faithful to keep his people Israel afloat. They are never completely destroyed. The promise is always intact. We see the devil, on the other hand, trying to thwart God's plans and his promise all throughout the text. The book of, of Genesis, Exodus, just in the first couple of books. We see just a few chapters into the book of Genesis, by Genesis chapter 6, that God, uh, the devil has made this world an evil place. There is only one righteous person. That's Noah and his family. There is evil all over the place, but even in all the evil and all the people that the devil is able to turn evil, there is still a righteous one, and God spares that righteous one. We see that in Sodom and Gomorrah on a smaller scale. When God destroys that city, there is a, there's righteous Lot and his family. There are always those who are righteous for the Lord, and God always takes care of them. We see it a little further in the book of Exodus, when the people of Israel are under the control of the Egyptians. The old Egyptian pharaoh, he sees that they're growing in number. He don't want them to get too strong. He orders that all the babies are killed. And lo and behold, there's a, a little boy named Moses. His mother puts him in a basket, sends him down the river. Pharaoh's daughter finds him. He grows up, and guess what? He's the one that God uses to lead his people out. God always makes sure that his plan is going to continue. No matter how much the devil tried to destroy the nation of Israel, to destroy God's people, God always made a way. And boy, that devil, he kept trying, he kept trying. And there was constant agony on God's people. I believe that these are the labor pains that we see the nation of Israel having. And this dragon is out with a vengeance. The devil is out to destroy God's plan and waiting for the birth of the one who has been prophesied, Jesus Christ. We see that all throughout the Old Testament. Even the people of Israel, they knew of this one that was coming. They knew of this one that was coming. And the devil, he tried his best, but he could not stop what was going to take place. We read a little further. But she gave birth to a son, a male who was going to shepherd all nations with an iron scepter. And her child was called up to God and to his throne. Now, we kind of skip over most of Jesus' life there, but we have his birth. We have that he is a shepherd that is going to rule with an iron scepter, and he's taken up to his throne. Now, the, 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 the text doesn't say that it's Jesus here, but if we read in the Old Testament again, 
And we read in the New Testament, we see that this is clear language of Jesus Christ. This is clear language of the Messiah who was going to come. If you want to flip to Psalm chapter 2, you can. If not, just listen closely. Psalm chapter 2 is a good example of this same type of language that is prophesying about Jesus Christ coming. Psalm 2, verse 7, I will declare the Lord's decree, he said to me, You are my son, today I have become your father. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, and the ends of the earth your possessions. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will shatter them like pottery. So this was a uh, prophetic verse talking about Jesus Christ who was going to come. And what does he use to shatter the nations? It is a rod of iron. When we see Jesus in the New Testament, we often see him referred to as the shepherd. He says that he is the good shepherd to shepherd his people. But he is not a shepherd who is just using a wooden staff like you would typically see shepherds use. Because he is facing a tremendously strong enemy. Now, when the Bible uses symbolism, it's to get a point across. John uh, uses the symbolism of a dragon. God reveals this to him in this way to help us understand how strong and mighty and how ferocious the devil is. I don't believe that the devil is actually going to look like this beast and this dragon when he comes, but it is symbolic of just how evil and fearful this person is going to be. This being, the devil, is going to be. It doesn't say that Satan comes like a little bunny rabbit, because that wouldn't get the point across. We have to understand. And so when we see this picture, this symbolism of a dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and we'll talk more about that next week. Don't worry, I'm not going to get into it this week, but we'll cover it in great detail. But when we see this imagery and imagine this, that is a ferocious and scary-looking creature. And this is the enemy that we face, church. This is the enemy that is trying to get us off track. This is the enemy that desires to destroy you. And he's a gnarly enemy. But we have a Savior who's not fighting him with a, with a staff, but we have a Savior who's fighting him with an iron scepter. We have a Savior who is going to battle with, the, with this devil and who defeats him, as we see in the text. And so, so we, we're starting to get a picture of what's going on here. These are things of past. We see that through the text. So when we look at the whole text, we realize that these things have already come to be. That the devil had tried to thwart the plans of Israel. He couldn't do it. Jesus Christ was born. Even throughout all of Jesus' ministry, the devil couldn't stop him. He tried to time and time again. He tried to put people in Jesus' path. And he thought he had finally did it when Jesus died on the cross. He thought that he had done his job and that all was good. And he finally had killed the seed and he was going to be victorious. But he was mistaken because three days later... Jesus rose from the grave. The devil threw the best that he had, but he could not stop God's plan. He could not stop the Messiah, Jesus Christ. We go on a little further in verse 6. The woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God to be fed there for 1,260 days. Now this verse kind of throws me for a loop, and maybe it does you. If these are events that have already happened, then there would have been a time that Israel would have been spared for three and a half years. Now, if you hold the historic view of the book of Revelation, that view says that all these things have passed in the book of Revelation. 
If you hold the future as view, then these things are to come. And so perhaps verse 6 alludes to what we're going to see a little further on in the chapter as we read. That, that John is talking about what's going to happen to Israel ultimately in the end times. Or perhaps it's not a literal 1260 days. It could just be symbolic for a measured amount of time that God is going to protect his people Israel. We see in chapter 7 of the book of Revelation that there were 144,000 who were sealed by God. I believe that that is representative of the nation of Israel. So God is going to take care of his chosen people. We have seen that all throughout the Bible, and we see that here again, that the devil is not going to be able to harm them, that they will ultimately uh, be protected by the Lord. A little further. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon and his angels also fought, but he could not prevail, and there was no place for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was thrown out, the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the one who deceives the whole world. He was thrown to the earth and his angels with him. Now, we see in the text, as we read uh, in the Old Testament especially, we see that at least for a period that Satan still was able to go before God. It would appear as though Satan still could travel between earth and between heaven. We see that in the book of Job where it says that the devil went before the Lord. And so the, 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 the devil did have some freedom to travel back and forth. And why God allowed that is beyond me. We saw that Satan was already cast to the earth. He had already fallen because of his pride. If you go back and you read Ezekiel chapter 28 in your Bible and Isaiah chapter 14, we get a glimpse of what the fall of Satan was like. I won't read those. Those are long texts and for time purposes. Uh, but it talks about that the devil had become proud, that he wished to lift himself above God, that he wished to become greater than God. And as a result of that, he was cast down. He lost his position in heaven. It would appear as though from the text that Satan was a powerful angel that he was a cherubim, that he was a super mighty angel of the Lord and he thought too highly of himself and he wanted to be God instead of serve God and God said, if you don't want to worship me and serve me, you don't have to, get out. And Satan was cast to earth. Jesus says in Luke chapter 10 verse 18 that he watched Satan fall from heaven. And so here we see in Revelation chapter 9 that we saw a star falling. I believe that that is symbolic of Satan falling from heaven. In that chapter we see uh, these demonic uh, spirits come out of this abyss to begin to wreak havoc on the world. I believe that is symbolic of the devil here and his angels who were cast down from heaven. We saw earlier on in chapter 12 that it said that the devil uh, swept his tail and knocked a third of the stars from the sky. That could have been literal stars, but I believe that that is probably symbolic of the uh, amount of angels that the devil was able to sway from serving the Lord. He had obviously uh, was pretty slick talker and pretty deceiving even to the angels in heaven because he convinced a portion of them at least, whether it's a third or not, that's up for debate, but at least some portion of them he convinced to turn against the Lord and to be on his side. And we see that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, there was no more hope for the devil. 
The only hope the devil had was to keep Jesus Christ from fulfilling his mission. That's why we see that constant temptation through Jesus' ministry. But he could not do it. Jesus died on the cross. He shed his blood for you and I so that our sins could be forgiven. And at that point, the devil was in big trouble. There was no hope for him to stop God's plan. We see that a war broke out in heaven. But it was impossible for the devil to beat the Lord because everything had been sealed on the cross by Jesus Christ, praise the Lord. It was impossible for him to beat him. And at this point, it would appear that Satan no longer had the opportunity to go before heaven. He was cast out of heaven. Now, this event could be a past event that happened at Jesus' death on the cross, or this could be an event that's going to happen in the future. Perhaps Satan still does have the ability to go back and forth between heaven and hell. Maybe this event's going to be something that's going to happen in the future. But what we can rest assured of is he's not going to win. Whether it's already happened, he's already lost, or whether it's a future event, he is going to lose. And as a result of that, he is going to be cast down. And as a result of that, there is going to be great rejoicing in heaven. Because we're going to read some, some pretty cool stuff here in the next few verses. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, The salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah have now come because the accuser of our brothers has been thrown out. The one who accuses them before our God day and night. So here was the devil, right? The accuser of the saints, those who trust in the Lord, those who trusted in the coming Messiah, those who trusted in Jesus Christ and trust in Jesus Christ. And here was the devil, night and day before God. Can you imagine him saying, look God, look at the sin he's committing, look at the sin he's committing, look at the sin that Shan's going to do. You don't want to love him. Look at these people. There's no way you can ever save them. There's no way you can ever spare them. Look, they got to go make sacrifices for their sin. There's no way these people are ever going to be taken care of. They're worthless sinners. That's what the devil was doing night and day, night and day, night and day. We see in the book of Hebrews that Jesus is a faithful high priest, that he came to give his life for us so that we could have a direct connection before God. We see that uh, God knew that the old way, that is the old covenant, the old law, the sacrificial system wasn't good enough, so he had to send a new way, and that new way was Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross and shed his blood, that put an end to Satan being able to accuse. Because when Jesus Christ died on the cross and we accept him and are covered by his blood, when, Jesus, uh, when God looks at us, he sees a clean people. Because when we come before God and say, God, forgive me of my sinfulness, I want to accept Jesus Christ and what he did, then the Bible says God cast our sins as far as the east is to the west. And so in the devil, if the devil were to even try to accuse, God would say, this one's covered. This one's covered by their actions? Nope. The Bible doesn't say that. We're not covered by our good deeds and how good we are. We see why we're covered. Those who rejoice in heaven because the, uh, the, uh, the devil had been cast down and his angels, in verse 11, they conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. It is through the blood of Jesus Christ that we conquer the enemy, that we conquer the devil. We cannot stand before this fierce and ferocious dragon upon our own. It can only be through the blood of Christ that we experience this victory that Jesus has to offer. We see a little further. If you flip on to uh, verse 12, Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you with great fury 
because he knows he has a short time. So he fought his best fight that he could against the Lord and against the Lord's angels, but he, he lost because of Jesus Christ and what Jesus did on the cross. And as a result, he was cast down here. Now, if you don't believe that, look around. You see hell on earth because Satan has been cast down to us. We see, as you read a little further, that the devil knew he couldn't get the nation of Israel. He tried his best to get God's people Israel. He saw that he couldn't do it, and so he began to take his, his fury out on her children. That's Christians. That's you and I. Satan has been doing this for years. This is nothing new. He's been trying to destroy the nation of Israel. Even after Jesus came, he still tried to destroy the nation of Israel. He wants the Jews to be destroyed. Uh, we see that with Hitler in the Holocaust. That's kind of a, a, a recent thing. He wanted to kill the Jews. Did that just pop into Hitler's mind because he was a crazy person? I don't believe at all. That was put there by the, uh, by the devil. That was put there by Satan himself to try to get uh, Hitler to uh, do what he wanted to do. He wants the people of Israel to be destroyed. We see that with ISIS. What is ISIS doing? They're constantly out persecuting and killing the Christians. Is that just something they dreamed up? That came from the devil. That is demonic. That is the devil trying to accomplish his plan. That is the devil doing exactly what God's Word tells us he's going to do in Revelation chapter 12. And woe be to us, because the devil's got great fury. See, when Jesus died on the cross, the devil knew that his time was short. And he's a sore loser. You ever lost before and you just want just, to uh, just take it out and just have a bad attitude? Well, that's what the devil's got. He's got a bad attitude. He knows he can't defeat God, but he's going to try his best to keep you from coming to God. He couldn't keep Jesus from dying for you, but he is trying his best to keep you from coming to Jesus. That's his whole plan. The devil desires that you would stay fearful, that you would stay in your sin, that you would not turn to Jesus Christ. And he will stop at nothing to see that you are completely destroyed. Now, he will convince you otherwise. He will continually remind you of your sinfulness. He will continually mind, remind you of how rotten you are and how much you don't deserve God's grace. But next time that the devil tries to remind you of your past, you remind him of his future. His future's been sealed. If you are in Jesus Christ, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you ask to be forgiven and you are covered by the blood of the Lamb, you can have the same victory that we see in chapter 12. That's why the people in heaven are rejoicing, because of the blood of the Lamb. Now that's kind of a hard thing for us to think about being victorious. Because as Christians, we are guaranteed when we accept Jesus Christ that we're victorious. But we still have to suffer, right? We still go through these hard times on this world. God is still allowing the devil to have his way on this earth, and I don't know why. I believe it's because he wants to see as many people possible be with him. That's what God desires, is to dwell with humanity. Don't ask me why. But he wants to be with you. He wants you to be with him for all of eternity. And God is delaying because I believe he wants to see as many as possible come to accept him and to be victorious over the tactics of the devil. We, we, we have a ferocious and a horrible enemy. The same enemy that is, that is kicking you when you're down. The same enemy that is telling you you're not good enough. The same enemy that's telling you you're worthless. But that is a lie, church. 
That is a lie from the devil. That's what he does. He wants you to feel good about your sin and to feel bad about God. He doesn't want you to know God. He doesn't want you to know anything about God. He wants Jesus out of everything. We see that in our world today. And he is relentless and he will not stop. But don't give in to his tactics. There is victory. The Bible says that God will not allow us to be tempted without giving us a way out. That way out is Jesus Christ. When we're struggling in our sin, we run to Jesus Christ. When we're scared, when we're doubtful, when all these things come up and we don't know what to do, we run to Jesus Christ. There is no way to escape the dragon, the enemy, the serpent, the devil himself. There is no way to escape him apart from the blood of Jesus Christ. There is victory in Jesus. Praise the Lord. We sing that song all the time. I think God wants us to get that point across. I hear kids. We were singing it at uh, the apartments a few weeks ago in Hannah and Randa. We were singing Victory in Jesus. And that song they know. I heard where, where uh, Jerry Toller's granddaughter, she was singing that song, four years old. She's walking around just singing it. Her mother had posted it on Facebook. Even young children get it. That sticks in their mind. I believe that God helps it to do that. That needs to stick in our mind, adults and children alike. That there is victory in Jesus because Jesus shed his blood on a cross. We are victorious over the enemy. But only if you accept it. Only if you've been covered by the blood. Because there's a day coming... When Jesus comes back and all is going to be good and everything's going to be made well for those who are His. But those who refuse, those who are deceived by the devil, woe unto you for what a horrible day of God's wrath that's going to be. Are you covered by the blood today? Have you experienced the victory in Jesus? If you have not, you have to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, invite Him into your heart, ask Him to forgive you, and confess that and follow through with baptism as a symbol, symbolic that you are washed clean, that you have accepted Jesus Christ. Have you experienced the victory in Jesus this morning? Let's pray. God, we come to you today and we thank you for these words. God, it's so much for us to take in. It's just a, a lot for us to, to think about. But I pray that you would help us to... to Remember what your word calls us to today. That we would remember the enemy and how strong he is, but God, he is not invincible, that he has been defeated. Praise the Lord. Dear Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that was made on our behalf. We thank you for the blood that was slain. And God, I pray that Jesus Christ would be the testimony of each one in this room. That we could be able to tell this world that Jesus Christ has saved us. He has made us clean. Let us not give in to the tactics of the devil, dear Lord. Let us be prepared for whatever you may throw our, or whatever he may throw our way in the future, dear Lord, that you may protect us in that future. I pray that if there is one in this room that hasn't experienced the victory in Jesus Christ, that you would tug on their heart, that they would say that prayer to accept you as their Lord and Savior. And I ask these things in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.